Um, do you know how to bring this up and pause this? Because I'm kids. No. All you have to do is you hit mirror button, PDI display, Redi display. You hit the top of this. You go to window. You enter full screen. But you can't do that until you turn off the music. So you go down here and you hit pause. So you click, you hit pause. Okay, I didn't catch any of that. All right. What am I, am I supposed to do? When, I'm supposed to leave them too. You're leaving too? All right, well, I have kids, but I think okay. Andre's so tell, me, tell me what to do. Well, I was going to have you pause the music when he goes up there to start speaking. Like this. Can you just minimize the music and I'll, you don't need to pause it, I'll kill it from here? Yeah, I can do that. Okay. All right, now I'll just memorize all this so that you don't have the whole... You go here, you yep. hit, actually I can just do it now, but you hit that, you bring this up, you hit window, you hit enter full screen, and it pops up like that. Okay. So just leave it like that. Good. Yeah. And then when he starts speaking, just lower it. Yeah. Thank you. That was quick.
why we did this later it kind of ties in with the message so I'll, I'll get to that five seconds Time's up. <laughs> Somewhere near them, or if you're not, go to one of these people with your hands up. We're just going to pray, and 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 right now, I want to know for each person that has their hand up, if you were to rate your pain and feel one to ten, what would you do that? Darlene, I understand. All right, seven or eight. So you're a five back there. Four, Chris. You're a seven, eight, okay. And over Michael? Yeah, physical pain. Yeah. Uh, physical pain, scale of one to ten. Nine? All right. That's important because after we pray, we're going to check and see if that number changed at all. Okay? So here's what you're going to do. Just put your hand on you know, the person around you. Um, Take 30 seconds and just ask them specifically what they need prayer for. Now, for the person who's getting prayer, you do not need to relate your entire physical history. Just say, my arm hurts or something like that, so that it isn't supposed to be brief. They don't need to know everything uh, since you were born. So just whatever you're in pain for right now, 30 seconds, go. So now, all you're going to do, you really don't even have to pray. I'm going to pray. You're just going to agree with me. All right, so just mentally say amen and say it out loud, whatever it is. Just agree that we're just going to go to Jesus right now. So dear Jesus, we thank you for your healing power. We thank you that you command us to, to heal others in your name. And so, Father, I just ask in the name of Jesus, that each person here who has raised their hand, their pain would go now in Jesus' name. Pain go. You have no place in these children of the king. Take away whatever is causing this pain. Father, we leave that if it's 
some sort of a disease prior to the capacity to remove it, if it is muscular, if it is joint-related product, it's all failing now in Jesus' name. And we thank you for your healing. We bless you in this healing. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. People have mentioned that when God touches you, it's sort of like putting your finger in the two clean white socks. Okay? So something like that is very likely to happen when the power of God comes on you. So it's not unusual, it's not odd, there's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes it's pretty intense. Okay, so let's see. Darlene, how are we doing? You're 20% better? Oh, no. Oh, okay. So that dropped from like a 7. Great. Donna? All right. Clyde? Better? Okay. Christy? Okay. Excellent. Great. 50% better. Excellent. Too, that as you sit, it may even get better than, uh, than 
this moment. Okay. So in the movie, For Love of the Game, Billy Chappell is a veteran pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. And he suddenly has his life thrown into complete turmoil. Uh, on the morning that he is to pitch, what is probably his last game of that particular season, and it's a season that has not been going well. Uh, his longtime girlfriend tells him that she is moving to London. He also learns that his team, the Detroit Tigers, is being sold to new owners, and those new owners have already said they're going to trade him uh, to another team. The Tigers are the only team he's really seen. He's ever played for. Um, and so his story is then told in flashbacks as he kind of sits in the dugout between him and the inning, reflecting on his life. But when he's on the field, he displays this intense focus that you find is so common in exceptional athletes, their ability to just really concentrate on what it is they're doing and, uh, and really focus. And he's so focused between what he's thinking about between innings and what he's doing during the game, which is really just focusing on the next battle, the next battle, the next battle. He gets to the, to the eighth inning. And it all of a sudden dawns on him that he's in the midst of pitching a perfect game. The perfect game, if you're not a baseball fan, is a game in which, through the entire game, not a single player reaches base for any reason. Now, a perfect game is so rare that in 140 years of Major League Baseball and over 210,000 games, there have been 23. That's 0.01%. Uh, and that percentage gets lower, obviously, with every player. All right, so he's been pitching very well, but it's late in the game. He's 40 years old. He's played for 19 seasons. And the strength and the stamina that he once had aren't there anymore. And so he gets to this point, and he's kind of unsure if he can even pitch the game. And so it's at this point that his catcher and good friend named Gus comes out to the pitcher's mound to offer him some encouragement. So let's pick it up. Screw that up, we're gonna be awesome for you right now. 
Don't you find that there are times when you feel about life situations kind of the way Billy felt about the youth? That you just don't have enough left to come? I know I do. I think we all have times when it feels like we're the only one rowing in an eight-man boat. When we're both physically and mentally fatigued, and, and we just don't think that we can keep going anymore. I think the Apostle Paul, of all people, truly understood that. And so, in chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, as he begins to close this letter that we've been looking at uh, throughout these nine weeks so far, the letter that he's written to the community that he so loves in Philippi, he now kind of turns his focus to one of encouragement. Now, as we talked about twice, or talked about last week, in chapter 3, he two times mentions this idea of pressing on. Pressing on to the goal of perfection in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he's showing us that spiritual maturity isn't something that just happens. Right? Lord, make me mature. Great, thank you. No, that doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. It's something that you have to pursue. And there are times with that, just as there are in life, that that pursuit of spiritual maturity is going to be anything but easy and fun. But that's just the reality. And so in these seven verses that we're looking at today, Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi, in a sense, to press on. And so as we read this letter some 2,000 years later, we can see... Um, we'll press on. We'll see that Paul is encouraging us to press on as well. Okay, the movie so, clip is the movie clip is still stuck here. How do I get it off? You know. Uh, okay, so let's take a look at how we can do that. So we're going to start in chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through 9. It's the end of the clip. Uh, Escape is not getting it off. off. Okay. So you're actually going to have to. Uh, well, think about is it. it maybe you just press and return. Is this, right, is this first, part of the. Is this part I of the Prezi? Yes. Yeah, I was in the Prezi. To agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, okay. help these men who have labored side by side with me in the gospel with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay. And lo and behold, I ask you. If it doesn't work, I just hit enter. So, I think so. Okay. Let's see. the first point that I think Paul makes is this. Is this on? There it is. Okay. Some of you are going to still work. That's because I'm. There is. There are many things in life that are more draining than having a dispute with somebody. That's the sensor. That's the sensor. Especially if it's a person that you can And this effect gets multiplied exponentially when the dispute is affecting others as well. But that's exactly the situation that Paul is in. And interestingly enough, 
what Paul's doing in this verse is somewhat unusual. Yeah. It's not unusual uh, for him to deal with disputes or problems. It's not unusual for him to you know, talk about an objectionable practice that someone is doing, or if there's a false Thing is, in any group of people, whether it's a bowling league, 
we should also take note that part of our Christian service is negotiation, conflict resolution, and And if you're like most people, you would probably do anything to avoid stepping in the middle of a confrontation or disagreement. But there are some of these things, some disputes and misunderstandings that really require sympathetic prayer. Good listening, honest evaluation. It can be a pastor, but it can also be a leader. And if that's you, then this person has to hear both sides. Keep in mind and attempt to find whatever solution is going to be best for both of the persons. You probably know this, but I can tell you from listening to married couples who come in for counseling. People on their own can be very convinced. And it seems quite reasonable. But then you hear the other person's like, whoa, wait a minute. So you have to understand that that's always the case. People view things very differently. So that's why it's important to have someone who's willing to listen with an open mind and teach you that by the Holy Spirit. So, okay, this is kind of where I think And if you can do that, it's going to rely on you. Church and so, if you're facing a conflict that you can't resolve, don't let the tension get so bad that it basically results in some kind of mistake. As well, don't withdraw into yourself or resort to some kind of cool power play. And also, don't stand idly by and just wait for the dispute to resolve. Seek the help of those who are known to And so this first point is that Paul is encouraging us to settle our differences. Alright, we'll pick it up then with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord Show us your FDA card. Excuse me. Show us 
your FDA Yeah, I had a feeling that you would go there. Just wanting to see who would, taking notes. For those uh, that may be listening to the podcast, I will spell this for you. It's E T I E I K E S. Transliteration is pronounced like this. Now, why do I, am I using the Greek word rather than the English word? Well, the word is reasonableness in the ESV. If you're looking at some other translation, odds are it probably says gentleness. Those are the two most commonly translated words for that Greek word. But what Paul's talking about is, is sort of an outworking of the Philippians' walk with God. This word, epiakos, is a difficult word to translate to really capture the full meaning of the English. We find that sometimes in the Greek. That's one reason why the Amplified Bible is best, because it will give you various other translations of the word so you can kind of get more of a sense sometimes of what they're trying to uh, but you can also use words in English such as forbearance, leniency, magnanimity. They all kind of come close to this, but they still don't quite capture the essence of what Paul is saying. Epiathus refers to a spirit that is reasonable, fair-minded, and charitable. It describes someone willing to yield his or her own life to show consideration and gentleness. You may find it easy to be epiakos with some people, but Paul is commanding epiakos towards Jesus. Jesus never sacrificed truth in order to be gentle, but he always had a gentle spirit. And it was that gentle spirit that often disarmed the people who were set against him. Now, in the context of Philippians, this is undoubtedly pointing to their need be humble patient in the midst of misunderstanding and mistreatment, which is really the same thing as Jesus. Remember there are these false teachers who are trying to convince them that they must be circumcised and so forth. So we've got this battle sort of going on for the hearts and minds of the church. If we can practice this, if we can display it, it lets both the church and the world see that we belong to Christ. Now this, this word also means the ability to kind of go beyond the letter of the law in treating others, to provide something besides just strict justice. It's a word that means you do not insist on your own personal rights or privileges. See, joy is an inner And in relation to circumstances, it, it may not always be visible. But the way that we react to somebody else, whether it's in gentleness, reasonableness, or harshness, is going to show. And so, like all virtues, that the ACOS must be applied relative to each situation. For example, if your child is attacked by a maniac with a knife, forcefully disarming the maniac without actually going to reserve yourself 
might be the essence of gentleness in that situation. But using that same amount of force to shake someone's hands after church wouldn't be considered gentle at all. So gentleness really requires the use of appropriate force to achieve God's will in a situation with a preference towards under Normally, you might think to use intimidation or power. Try straightforward conversation. Where you might swing a mighty club, take that. Seek a reasonable response. A gentle person, not merely a weak-willed person or passive person, tells people that God controls the world. take a hit without retaliation and be forceful without being cruel to them. So Paul encourages us to display their Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So with this, it's pretty simple. To battle anxiety with prayer. It's kind of interesting, but anxiety was really a way of life for a lot of people, many people, um, in the ancient pagans. Because they had all these different gods and goddesses. And it was one of those, again, referring to the movie The Apostle Paul that we saw not long ago. But that kind of played out in the movie, where, you know, this uh, prison uh, prefect's daughter was ill. And so he goes into this little temple, and there are all these figurines and things set up, and all these candles, and he's praying. And the problem is, if something, the way they viewed it was, if something was wrong in your life, then one of those gods has got to have something against you. You pick one of them off, or maybe multiple ones of them off, somehow. You may not, you won't know how necessarily. So, uh, just to kind of always walking around with this sense of anxiety, not really knowing what's coming. Because maybe you irritated one of these gods, right? Because you didn't pray long enough to them, or whatever. But with the God who now reveals himself in Jesus, there was no guarantee, as we've seen, against suffering. But there was the certainty that God is ultimately in control and that he would always hear and answer prayers on any topic whatsoever. People sometimes say that, you know, we shouldn't bother God about trivial requests like dry weather for the church house. Or parking space on Lake Street. But, though of course our intercessions should normally focus on serious and major matters, we know that Paul says we should ask God about every area in our life. If it matters to you, it matters to God. And so prayers like that will mean that God speaks not a stoic lack of concern, but this deep peace in the middle of life's problems and storms will keep a guard around your heart and mind 
squadron of soldiers looking after a treasure ship. Worry and anxiety come from focusing on your circumstances, such as Paul's imprisonment or his persecution. But anxiety and worry, as hopefully you have figured out by now, do not accomplish anything. Prayer does. In fact, didn't Jesus warn against worry? Because he said it demonstrates a lack of trust in God. One New Testament scholar said anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. And what happens exactly if we if we make this trade? Okay. We if we give up anxiety in exchange for Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What does this sound Now, like many of the writers uh, that wrote during this period of time, especially the Greeks, Paul gives us a full list of positive things to think about. Uh, Greek and Roman philosophers were constantly emphasizing things such as virtuous thought. And Jewish, Jewish writers 
quite often borrow from the, the Greeks and Romans and use their language in the very same way that Paul is doing to communicate to his Greek-speaking Jewish readers. Point being is that this type of advice wasn't original to Paul. It's advice that's centuries old. But it still is applicable and still is effective today as it was then. Let's examine this list for a moment. Crew. Crew is that which corresponds to reality. Anxiety comes when false ideas and unreal circumstances occupy the mind instead of truth. Ultimately, thinking on the truth is thinking on Jesus, who is the truth. Honorable refers to lofty, majestic awesomeness, things that kind of lift the mind up above the world's dirt. Just refers to that which is fair to all parties, that which fulfills all needs and debts and obligations. Thinking right thoughts steers one away from quarrels and dissensions to think of the needs and rights of the other party. Pure casts its net of meaning over all of life. Sexual acts, and noble thoughts, moral and ritual readiness for worship. Thinking on the pure leads one away from submission and towards God's will. Lovely is a rare word referring to things that attract please, and win other people's admiration and affection. Such thoughts bring people together in unity, rather than separating them and fighting them to pieces. Commendable is something worthy of praise or approval, that which deserves a good reputation. Pondering ways to protect one's moral and spiritual image and community leads away from worries about circumstances, possessions that project a different image of the community, which can be And so then, Paul sort of sums up his catalog of virtues in two words, excellent and praiseworthy. The first encompasses what is the best in every area of life, the philosophical good, everything we should strive for. And the second refers to that which deserves any so this catalog of virtues thus reflects the best life that a person can live and the best reputation a person can thereby achieve in the community. And then finally in this verse, Paul gets to his point. Think on these things. That joined with prayer will relieve all anxiety and lead one to praise God and live the life the way he Have you ever heard of the phrase garbage in, garbage out? It's primarily a technological term. And it's used to express the idea in computing and in other spheres as well that incorrect or poor quality input will always produce faulty outcomes. But I think it can be applied even more broadly. What we put into our minds determines what comes out in our words and you are consistently putting garbage into your mind, then your thoughts are going to be about garbage. Paul tells us to program our minds with thoughts that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, commendable, virtuous, and praiseworthy. 
people could follow his example because he was intent on following And the best thing of all was they culturally believed that if other believers in Jesus were to practice the virtues that he's already laid out as part of this, they would experience Paul thought so much of this particular attribute that he often used the God of peace as part of his benediction in many of his letters. There's a lot of people today who seek to have the peace of God without having the real God. But who is the author of good deeds? So that can't be done. To know peace, we must know God. And to know God, we must know so Paul encourages us to practice what he preaches. And so as I conclude this, I would say, now it's our turn. In this letter to the Philippians, Paul has encouraged us, Philippians, and all those who come later to read this letter. But we can't forget that in his first letter to the Thessalonians, he writes in chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. And the thing is, you can't encourage somebody that you don't know or don't talk to. Now, remember I said I was going to get back around to the exercise that I had to do earlier. We're going to continue doing that. Yeah. 
I can't place the blame on, on the church at all because I don't know, I wasn't here that church. I don't know the situation. I do know that what I just described happens a fair amount. But I see it. I see people come in, sit in the back, don't talk to anyone. Then they leave and they write me an email saying nobody talked to me. And I'm <laughs> what opportunities do you actually give them to talk to you is the question that you would have to ask. But this will help. So let's not let it stop just here. Either. Your assignment for your week, your thought for the week, how could you be more encouraging? How could you be more encouraging to your church family? How could you be more encouraging to whatever else it is you do during the week? I'll remind you to remind me of here somewhere. <laughs> How can you want more encouragement? I just watch the worship team starts and stuff. Come on out and kind of point to the point. Now I turn to say it. Pardon? I turn to say it. A few of you were actually kind of. <coughs> <laughs> You ought to know by now that I'm going to bring it back around at the end, and so you got to pay attention. Let me read this piece of Did you say Ed? Pardon? Did you say Ed? Or did you lose a hair? Uh, the lights are supposed to go off. But if there's anything else that you need, 
attention to the decision I made. And see that for that. Then there's a, an aspect of the Jesus demonstration that is why we ask people to come forward in prayer. And I don't, you know, I'm pretty sure it was on more than one occasion someone cries out, Jesus, heal my
more channels you just come this way or you go back that way so is it bust into something over here yeah this, this is the actual yeah. this is just the interface controller it's, it's just a computer it's all digital if you want equalization oh that's brand new yeah i've seen that before if you want the eq or the, or the compensation or the sends or whatever you want so can you do like a DFR with it, or dynamic feedback reducer, or anything like that? Okay. Oh, on a microphone. We're a mic mic channel through a DFR, which basically is the dynamic feedback reducer. Oh yeah. What you do is you open up the mic, you ring it out, and it automatically takes all those frequencies and yeah. slices and dices. I believe it does. Yeah. I haven't heard of it yet. Yeah. I'm familiar with that from the late '70s when um, sound craftsmen 
No, it was actually in the past couple weeks. I'm used to random stuff from John by now, so. Yeah, oh my goodness. 